So as we continue our summer series in Proverbs, it's a pleasure just to introduce today Colin Seitz, who is a veteran of ministry. We were talking before the service and just, you've served churches on either side of Washington State and in Chicago and uh, before that, and then you spent 16 years as with the Free Church, uh, our, a sister church up in Niles. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, you've been down at Plymouth, a sister church in Crossroads at Plymouth, Indiana, uh, serving in a variety of ways. But most recently, um, you've been asked to serve as our, our regional superintendent. And it's been just a lot of fun the last two years for me to get to know you. And, and just, uh, I'll just say just a word, just I've appreciated just Colin's servant heart, uh, just that you just genuinely love the Lord, you're helpful, you're ready to serve in, in bigger ways or small ways, and so uh, it's just a pleasure just to welcome you to the pulpit today. And let's just give him a warm round of applause as he brings God's word to us. Thank you, Brother Dave. Those introductions are always interesting. When they say veteran, that just means I'm old. <laughs> And uh, it is a joy for me to be here. Uh, I have enjoyed getting to know uh, Pastor Josh and Pastor Dave and your staff here. Uh, you are blessed uh, to have them with you. I pray that you'll take good care of them. I don't want to get a phone call from your church leaders saying that our pastor went south on us, so I'm praying for you and for them to stay true to God and to his word. I'm going to ask you to pray with me for a moment. Would you bow in prayer? I know we just prayed, but I just want to do that before we open God's word. Precious Heavenly Father, it is a joy to be with your people today, to have sung your praises and be reminded of your greatness and your majesty and your beauty. Father, to have sought your face in prayer uh, for the needs of our own life and for the needs of others. And now, Father, as we open your word, there is a challenge. We, we are aware that our adversary would like to distract and divide our attention. We are aware of the fact that there are times when we hear from you where our own flesh and our own desires are contrary to you. So we're praying that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond in obedience and willing hearts, knowing that you always have the best for us in mind. So Lord, we love you. I pray that you would guide this speaker. Lord, I don't want to say anything that's not true to your word or honoring to our Savior. So, Lord, speak. And like Samuel of old, may we say, Lord, your servant is listening. And may we respond. Thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. What comes to your mind when you hear the word neighbor? Some of you are saying trouble. <laughs> uh, some of us who are older may remember Fred and Ethel Mertz, who were the neighbors of who? Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. Some of us who are a little younger will remember our friend Wilson, who we never ever got to see his whole face, as he would have those backyard conversations with Tim the Toolman Taylor on his TV show Home Improvement. Often wondered what he actually looked like, but we never got to know. For even younger ones who grew up uh, watching uh, Mr. Rogers uh, sing that song at the opening of his show, Please Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, they, they can still sing that. It's, it's a tune stuck in our, our ears because we heard it from, with our kids many, many times. 
the concept in the, in the topic of neighbor is a broad one, but it's interesting that I have noticed that during the summer months, uh, you've been working through God's ancient book of wisdom, practical wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And as Pastor Josh has said at the outset of the series, wisdom begins with a right relationship with God and to God, which is only possible through a relationship with Jesus, the source of all real wisdom. You'll recall that we have noted that Proverbs comes from uh, that section of scripture which is called the wisdom literature. It's designed by those who are older to instruct their children to know the ways of life uh, from God's point of view and to, and to handle that and navigate life's uh, situations with wisdom. It's a book of practical wisdom about life, a truth that generally or normally is true, but there may be exceptions. And it's not specific ironclad promises of God, but accurate observations of how life normally works. I think one of the best gifts we as parents can give our children is to give enough time and instruction to them to say, son or daughter, this is how life works. Now you can get on the good side of it and work with it, or you can fight it all the way and, and have the wear and tear of finding that that really doesn't work. So be wise. Work with the way life truly works. As you've been uh, making this personal study through Proverbs, today is the 18th, so hopefully you've read Proverbs 18 today. And the interesting thing about as you go through Proverbs is the interesting characters that you meet along the way. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite authors and pastors with the Free Church, and, and he writes, there are more than 180 different types of people represented in Proverbs including 46 specific types of men, 23 types of women, and several types of uh, kinds of children, all teaching us how to live and deal with people. I love the cartoon that says, I love humanity, it's people I have a problem with. And sometimes, uh, in general, we say, yep, that's the truth. I'm all for peace on earth, but I'm having a hard time with my neighbor." So I love the, the practicality of Proverbs. I also realize that as a nation coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we desperately need perhaps an inspired refresher on how to relate to each other over after a year of living in the unreal world of isolation and quarantines and separation from loved ones and neighbors. And that's why as I looked at your, survey, your series in Proverbs, uh, the topic of the neighbor came up repeatedly. In fact, 22 times in the ESV version of the, New Test of the Old Testament in Proverbs, you find the neighbor referenced as an important part of how to get along with people in life. You see, I'm convinced that God says in, in, in 1 Peter, that God, or 2 Peter 1, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And Proverbs reminds us that God has given us both the ability and the wisdom, his wisdom, in dealing with one of life's most basic relationships. Next to marriage, we all have a neighbor and we all have to deal with them. We need to heed and learn from God's inspired wisdom of Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible, the secrets of living successfully with our neighbors while seeking to impact them for eternity as we share and live out the good news of the gospel and of Jesus. So as you like to say around here, and while we'll see, we are sent what? To love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Kind of hard to do that if you're not in good terms with those around you. So it's important that we hear what God tells us and teaches us here in the book of Proverbs. 
So to help organize our thinking on this topic, your insert that you have, your bulletin insert, gives you kind of the three main uh, themes that we'll be looking at this morning. But I want to remind you that, that God has a word for us, for us to hear today. And uh, sometimes this topic kind of sounds simplistic and easy, but it's been my experience that all of us have had good neighbors and less than stellar neighbors. And the challenge for us is to live consistently and wisely and, and obediently to the Lord as we go through all that variety of neighbors that we've experienced. So the first theme I want to emphasize is the call to love our neighbor. You know, some would say in, in all the stuff that's going on in our world, that really is a simplistic and a, a secondary issue. But I would beg to differ with you. You see, I can't solve the problems that the news headlines are always blaring at us on our, on our smartphones and on our TVs and on our devices. I mean, they are constantly streaming to us a series of bad news, earthquakes, building collapses, disease, uh, crime, all kinds of things. I can't do a lot about that. But what God has shown us is that we can impact the very place and community that we live and the people that we know. And I think God is calling us to a priority of loving our neighbor, of, of following him. In fact, that was God's command to the Israelites in Leviticus 19.18, as God was bringing a nation out of bondage in Egypt and teaching them how to be the people of God, knowing that they were heading into pagan territory. He says this, you shall not take uh, he, sa he says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. He's saying a, a primary relational command that will be required of you as my people is that you learn to love your neighbor because I am calling you to do that as the Lord. Some would say, well, that's an Old Testament command. I don't have to pay attention to that. But remember that you've heard that before. Jesus reaffirmed this priority during his earthly ministry. While we're in Matthew 22, he was queried by some of the opponents of his. They wanted to try and trip him up, but, it, but you have this passage here where it says, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees about a question previously asked, and they gathered together. And one of them's a lawyer asked him the question to test him. You know, was he really sincere about that? Maybe not. But here's what he asked him, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, the Hebrew Shema, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord with all your heart. That is the first commandment. But he goes on and says, and the second is like it. You shall love who? Your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If you look at the Ten Commandments, you find the first half of them speak of our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God. You won't be doing those things. But if you love your neighbors yourself, that will take care of a lot of the second part of those Ten Commandments. So God calls us to love our neighbor. Jesus reaffirmed that in his earthly ministry. This priority was also reaffirmed by the other apostles. Paul and James, in, in Galatians 5.14, Paul writes, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
James writing about not being having partiality and, and treating people differently in the fellowship. He writes in James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. And so you have the, the command of God himself to the Israelites. You have the reaffirmation of that of Jesus during his earthly ministry. You have the apostles reaffirming that this is a key priority in God's heart. But as always, there's always that question, well, exactly who is my neighbor? Is it just those in the approximate zip code where I live? Or you know, how, how far does that go? And you remember well the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10, when indeed a, another person wanted to kind of wiggle out of this. And in Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 25, we read this. Behold, and again, here's another lawyer. I love lawyers. They, they try and do the fine tuning here. Do I really have to love my neighbor? Exactly how far does that extend? Well, here we go. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But... He, desiring to justify himself and to Jesus, asked the question, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on and tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on by the other side. But here's the surprising part of the story. But a Samaritan, and in this point, at this place, in the original telling, the audience would go, boo, because they were the bad guys. Uh, Jews did not like Samaritans, but here it goes. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now it's time for Jesus to quiz the lawyer. And the lawyer knew the right answer. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, God's calling us not to, not to specify our neighbor just to those who live in the immediate proximity around us. But he calls us to care for and extend God's love and mercy to anyone in need who God brings across our pathway. So that may be a coworker that you hear about is struggling with a sudden diagnosis that scares them. It could be a, a, a cowork, it could be a, a, a classmate of yours in school where you're, you're finding out mom and dad are splitting up and they are just struggling with that. It could be any number of things, but as God brings people across your path, what he's asking us to do is extend the bound of your concern, not to yourself, not even just to your immediate physical neighbors, but when God brings somebody across your path, that you sense God wants you to minister and extend the love and mercy of God to go for it.
don't be the Levite, don't be the priest. He says, you do likewise. So all of us have neighbors who God brings across our path with the priority to love and show God's mercy in practical ways. But these relationships with neighbors, let's not be honest, can be tricky. And the writer of Proverbs offers us inspired counsel as we look at the second theme, and that is the pitfalls to avoid as neighbors. Let's face it, uh, there are some neighbors we love, there are some neighbors we just kind of grin and bear it. Well, Proverbs has some amazing counsel for us that I think you'll find helpful because, you know, God has wisdom for us. You know, James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, God has said, here it is. Let me lay it out for you. Number one, don't play mind games with your neighbor. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those whom it, from whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I'll give it when you have it with you. That's playing mind games. You're basically saying, I don't want to pay you today. And God says, don't be doing that. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. They do not appreciate the humor of that. That does not build strong relationships with neighbors. Or Proverbs 29, 5, a man who flatters his neighbor in sincere compliments spreads a net for his own feet. I've often found it true when, when you're telling lies or, or stretching the truth, you have to be careful to remember all the mysteries that you told or it'll eventually catch up to you. Uh, it's that old phrase, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Don't do that. Speak honestly and truthfully with your neighbor. Don't play mind games with them. A second pitfall that is noted in Proverbs is found in Proverbs 3.29, and that is don't abuse your neighbor's trust. Proverbs 3.29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Or even worse, in Proverbs 6.27 through 29, he writes, can a man carry fire in his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And then verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor. So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife, and none who touches her will go unpunished. When you abuse your neighbor's trust, when you have not been a trustworthy neighbor, when there's stuff going on, when you're planning evil or committing evil, God says that, that's a recipe for disaster in relationship with a neighbor, and it's obvious. Third pitfall, Proverbs notes, is avoid financial dealings in general with your neighbor. Uh, there's nothing like money that separates even friends. Try doing that with neighbors. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, the writer of Proverbs says, My son, and notice there's instruction for the younger, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are ensnared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Basically, you're in a bad spot. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. In other words, don't do this, and if you've gotten yourself into it, get out of it as quickly as possible. In fact, Proverbs 17, 18 says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security 
in the presence of his neighbor. Don't do that. Don't be co-signing that loan for your neighbor's debt. That is a recipe for disaster. So don't play mind games. Don't abuse your neighbor's trust. Avoid financial dealings. Pitfall number four, be careful not to badmouth your neighbor. Proverbs chapter 11 reminds us of an important truth about that. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. If it's the old expression, if you can't say anything good about your neighbor, don't say anything at all. You start bad-mouthing or speaking ill of your neighbor, uh, it gets around. I mean, the neighborhood grapevine is, is quite effective. You need to be careful with your words and how you interact and how you talk about your neighbors. Uh, uh, don't be saying, I'm going to pay them back. Proverbs 24, 28, not 29 says, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back the man for what he has done. That's a recipe for ongoing conflict. And it, it happens. We have a situation, I, I'm, I'm just kind of shaking my head at right now, where we have two neighbors that somehow are in a dispute. We have a lovely pond that's a joy to look at. And we have a picnic pavilion. And you'd think that'd be an ideal spot to hang out and have a good time. No, you can't, because somehow the property line goes right down the middle of that picnic pavilion. And the two neighbors are at war with each other. And who wants to be in the middle of a war zone where if you go there, one neighbor or the other will yell at you and say, get off my property. Well, no, actually, you're on my property. No, I said that. And you're going, time out, I'm out of here. You think, does that really happen? It has happened, in fact. That's not the first time that's happened with that same piece of property. It is like it seems to draw cantankerous, angry people, and they spend all their time literally putting hedges in the middle, trying to keep each other out of their property, and it's like, this is ridiculous. Couldn't they just work something out so that both could enjoy it? But no, they're going to fight it. Don't do that. Be careful in how you deal with it. In fact, uh, Number five is, pitfall number five is one that I'm convicted of, and that is relate impartially with your neighbors. Be careful how you relate to them. Verse, uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verses 20 and 21 says this, the poor is disliked or shunned even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend or separated from his neighbor, renders the King James Version. It's gotten me thinking about the fact that um, sometimes we tend to relate to one another based on uh, economic status. And uh, God has a word about that. Uh, one of the books that uh, my wife and I this year have been reading for our evening devotions is a book by Tim Keller. Tim is the, one of the founders of the Gospel Coalition, but he's written a book, being the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, that bluntly speaks to this very reality about how we treat our neighbors differently based on their economic status. 
In this book, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, and reading a, a daily devotional entitled Neighboring, this is what he writes. Now, this is where a pastor goes from preaching to meddling. So if you don't like what you read here, just remember this is Tim, but it's got me thinking about what I, how I relate to people. He, he writes it this way. We seek relationships on a cost-benefit basis. With the rich, we want to be close friends as possible. The poor, we don't even want living in our neighborhood. It hurts the real estate values, we're told. And relationships with poor people don't benefit us, and so they are shunned. Our social systems quarantine the poor. We protect ourselves from the impositions that their needs would bring upon us. We force them to live all together so that the poor have no neighbors with the resources and connections to be kind to them. This, of course, only deepens their poverty. Whole neighborhoods and communities of the poor lack what is called social capital, the informal networks of friends and colleagues who trust one another and share goodwill and assets by making referrals, offering free advice, opening doors, and entering into partnerships with one another. Again, we see that to turn our backs on the poor of our communities, avoiding them and maintaining their isolation is not just being uncharitable, it is sin. Let me read it again. The poor is disliked by even his neighbor. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. If indeed we understand that all that we have is from God, and we are not owners but managers, stewards of God's resources. And he says in his word that he has a concern for the poor, and he does. Then he says it's time for us to continue to have open hands and open hearts to those who don't have the means that we might have. And that's one that's challenging me because I notice where we live in Plymouth that the poor are often hidden behind hedges in parts of town that we don't frequently travel in. And all of a sudden, and indeed they are, clustered together. You see them in the trailer park sometimes. You see them in the rundown, the more modest parts of town. And you find yourself saying, so where do they get help from their neighbors when they're all kind of jammed together? It's worth thinking about and considering. So a, a, fit, a pitfall of relating impartially to our neighbor is something we want to avoid. A sixth pitfall is avoid legal disputes with your neighbor. Proverbs 25, 8 through 10. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. Do not reveal another's secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. What he's saying is, work things out with your neighbor but without having to go to court. Uh, if you... It, if you can't, then there may be times when you have to. I smile as I, as I share that because uh, when Gloria and I moved to Plymouth from the, from the South Bend area uh, several years ago, uh, we, we bought into a, a half of a duplex in a condominium community. It was a, we have wonderful neighbors. We really do. The only problem was when we got there shortly thereafter, the person that managed and ran the homeowners association wanted to double the HOA fees to the place where for many who are widows, many who are elderly, they could no longer afford to live there. 
And here I am as a pastor, and I'm going, oh, Lord, this is not what I expected. So we appealed to the, the, the appropriate people saying, hey, uh, can you give us some financial information as to why you feel this is necessary? And in a polite way, they basically said, stick it in your ear. And uh, that's not a good thing to say to a pastor <laughs> uh, or to someone who says, but, but that's a reasonable request. I think on behalf of these uh, many who are uh, widow ladies who are basically saying, I can't afford a huge increase in these fees and still live here, uh, please help us understand why you're doing this. And we were basically said, forget it. Well, the Lord prompted us to say, I think we need to organize a, a group of owners who will not go along with this and uh, see what we can find out to get some uh, financial information so that we could uh, at least understand why this was being done. In other words, we had to go to court to do it. We've been working at it for five years. We still don't have resolution. I agree with, with the writer of Proverbs. Avoid legal disputes with your neighbor. They are draining, they are exhausting, and they are tiring. But you know what's happened as a result of all that? We have gotten to know our neighbors in a way we would have never known before because the tendency in these days is our neighbor drives in through the garage, the garage door goes down, and boom, you don't see them. Well, now all of a sudden we all have a unified concern that we're trying to address appropriately. And so we have meetings, we have picnics, we have holiday open houses where we meet, interestingly enough, in our home. And my wife happens to play accordion. Now, there's nothing like an accordion to cheer up a gathering. And it's amazing because we found out so much more about our neighbors. Our circle of concern expanded because we had a, a mutual thing that was really help, wanting us to work together. We would have, I don't think we would have ever known our neighbors nearly to the level that we do for good or evil uh, because we had to do this. And we continue to say, Lord, if, if, if there's another way to, to solve this, we would desperately love to do that. But it seems like that's the route it has to go. So I agree, avoid any legal disputes with your neighbor if at all possible. But there may be times for the sake of righteousness and what is just for a people that are being taken advantage of where you have to say, we may have to go that route. And if you got advice, I'm always open to that. Uh, a seventh pitfall, which I find rather humorous. Now, some of you... Uh, may, may feel convicted at this, so be careful. And that is, be alert to spending too much time at your neighbor's house or your use of time. Proverbs 25, 17 says it very plainly. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. In other words, mind those social cues. You know, no one minds a neighbor dropping in. Maybe you might want to let them know you're coming. Unannounced can be somewhat awkward at times, but there are times when it's appropriate to say, hey, thanks for just stopping by. I'll see you later. And they go, you go home and they say, thank God they're done. So be mindful of that. Be aware of those social cues. Proverbs gives us that wealth of practical wisdom in living well and wisely with our neighbors. And when we avoid these serious pitfalls that spoil our relationship with our neighbor, it removes an obstacle 
to our life message of Jesus and the change he makes in us. So let's try and avoid those pitfalls. But the third theme I want to hit on is the practice of being the ideal and wise neighbor. How do we love our neighbor well? I think it's, it's kind, of, kind of pretty basic, but important. And that is living out our life and faith in Christ, having experienced the love of Christ for us, we can now love our neighbor with the love that he gives us. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10 says it this way, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet it. And any other commandment are summed up by this word. Guess what it is? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I cannot solve all the world's problems, but I can love my neighbor well and wisely. And God's calling us to that. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but for the good of his neighbor. Proverbs echoes that in Proverbs 3, 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. If you can love on a neighbor and help them, go for it. Now, sometimes there are just neighbors that are hard to love. And it's interesting what I find in Romans chapter 5, in a passage where Paul is talking about the fruit of trials and tribulations and suffering. He says at the end of it, he says, when, we, when this all happens and we become more mature and we grow through this experience, he says, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How many times have we often prayed, Lord, I don't have love for this neighbor. Right now, that's the last thing I have for them. And, God said, and we say, Lord, Please help me to love my neighbor. God hears that prayer. God gives us the love we need to love our neighbors well and with wisdom. And oftentimes, it's after we've had a hard time with them, and we're saying that prayer through gritted teeth and saying, Lord, this neighbor is driving me crazy, but you've called me to love them. Please help me to do that well. Tim Keller, in another one of the readings in that book on Proverbs, entitled, What You Owe Your Neighbor, even carries it a bit further when he writes, the word good in Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 14 refers to tangible material goods. Do not withhold good when it's in your power to provide for that. He says, that word good refers to tangible material goods. If you have more worldly goods than you need, it is your responsibility to share with others. The world is God's, and if he has given you more of it to steward, than someone else, you are called to use the true owner's wealth as he wishes it to be used. God loves everything he has made, and especially those whom Psalm 145, 14 calls those who are bowed down and who have fallen. If you find as that, that good Samaritan someone in need, and God has placed within your hands the resources to help them, go for it. Remember that Samaritan? He, he, he went to the innkeeper and said, here's, here's two more denarii. Take care of them. He went the extra mile. Now, some of you say, that's, that's hard to do. That's a hard word. It's a word that you need to consider because God is calling us to live extraordinarily loving lives to our neighbors. That also means that we take time to be a good neighbor with others. We talk with them. We build relationship with our neighbors. Proverbs 12, 26, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor but the way of the wicked will lead them astray. 
You can't be a guide to your neighbor if you never talk to them, if you never build a relationship with them. That's why I've been fortunate to be, to be married to a partner who loves Jesus but also loves people. She learned that, I think, from her mom and dad, who never met a stranger. They were always just future friends. And boy, did they have an odd collection of them, believe me. There were some really interesting people in that bunch. And as we were thinking about this message uh, today, uh, I said, honey, write down some of the ways that you've learned to be a good neighbor. And, and uh, you may get this on your after, after Sunday uh, handout, but she just wrote down, pray for your neighbors by name. Be alert to opportunities to speak to them and serve them. Uh, bring them baked treats. Food evangelism is amazing. Nothing like bringing a plate of brown, fresh brownies out of the oven that still mm, just smell. Wrap them with a saran wrap and say, hey, I just thought you might enjoy this today. And they look at you like you're from Mars, but they'll take the brownies, believe me, they will do it. Uh, send them a note or a card. Invite them to a church event. There's a whole series of things where we have found by taking time to care about what's going on with our neighbors, it has opened amazing doors of opportunity. In fact, God seems to be at work in our neighborhood. The one with all the lawsuits, he's moving pastors in. We now have at least three pastors in our, in our small subdivision. And it's like divide and conquer. It's like, and especially if there's another brother who is really good at just building conversations with people. And he inspires us to keep on doing that well. So... Live out your life in faith in Jesus. Take time to be a good neighbor. But thirdly, be praying for the welfare and salvation of your neighbors. I have it down in my basement by my, where I work out, which maybe doesn't show as much as it used to, a, a picture that was from Keith Green. Some of you remember Last Day's Ministry. It's a picture of this island. It's a, it's a beautiful island, and there are all these people dressed up in their Sunday finest, top hats, and boy, they look great. And they're out strolling this boardwalk, but out in the water around the island are people drowning. And you can see their faces, and they're reaching up. Uh, and, and the caption on the, on the picture, it was from a story from uh, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army. And the caption on the picture says, who cares? See, everyone, we're, we have everything to celebrate knowing Jesus. Uh, we know who we are in Christ. We know we've been forgiven by him. We know why we're here, and we know where we're headed. We're like the rich people on the island. We have so much, and we are blessed. But we've got neighbors. We've got coworkers. We've got classmates. We've got people we know who, as best we can understand, if they were to die tonight, they would perish and go into eternity without Christ. And we should not have those neighbors there without our concern and our asking the question, is there something, Jesus, you want me to do to continue to be not only the best and wisest neighbor, but someone who cares for them? So we need to pray for them, but also sometimes you just need to be bold and share the gospel message with them. We've had people, and my wife has had, had some real interesting conversations going to the ER or going to the hospital, and the person, it was a neighbor, who we didn't know what the future held, but within two days, that person had died. The heartbreak was, as my wife sought to bring the words of the gospel, the woman said, not interested. 
But we went anyways, and we sought to share. God is not willing, Peter says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I don't know about you, but I, I'd like to think that, that a very basic part of this message, if we're called to love our neighbor, is that we take the risk as the Holy Spirit directs us. And, and, and I understand there are times when it says, he says, not yet. It's like unripe fruit, not quite ready yet. But when you recognize there may not be an opportunity again, this side of heaven or hell, to share the good news of Jesus, sometimes you just got to risk it and say, I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you too much to let you slip into eternity apart from this good news. You can welcome Christ in your life. You can be forgiven. And what that person does is God's responsibility and theirs, we've just been faithful witnesses. So I want you to take a moment. I'd like you to bow with me for a moment. And close your eyes. I'd like you to think about someone you see on a regular basis. It may indeed be your neighbor, but it could be a coworker. And I'd like you to remember in case we've forgotten that God has called us to love them, to live wisely among them, but also to live before them, as this church calls us to, to invite them to find life in Jesus and to bring them along with us and to share the life we found in him. I have a brother, I have a sister-in-law that I'm deeply concerned about because I don't know if I will see them in heaven. And just yesterday, he, he turned 70 years of age. You have relatives, you have friends like that too, who if they should die, you're not sure where they'll go. So let's take a moment and pray for them. Heavenly Father, you've called us to love our neighbor. You've called us to love those who you bring across our paths. And all of us have different individuals. We've heard in your word that you don't want any to perish. You would like all of our loved ones and friends to be with you in heaven. But that won't happen just naturally. There has to be a repenting. There has to be a faith in our Lord Jesus, who on the cross made provision to forgive all our sins for us to have life in him. But we pray today for a neighbor, for a relative, for a classmate, for a coworker, who as best we know has not responded to that good news. And we pray for courage and for ability to live well before them the good news of Jesus, to love them well, and Lord, in your time, before it's too late, to share the good news of life in Jesus and how they can be saved from the wrath to come, from going into eternity without a relationship with their God, their creator, through Jesus. So we ask that you would indeed keep us alert to those future opportunities to share that message and to live that life well and wisely, that they too might find life in Jesus. It's our earnest prayer that they would know him, know the joy of knowing him. So Lord, Give, give us that alertness. Give us that opportunity, we pray, in the near future. And when that does come, give us the courage to go for it. We give you thanks that you've called us to be the ideal neighbor, one who loves, 
one who lives, and Father, one who shares our life in Jesus. Thank you for this church that helps us to do that. May it continue to do that for years to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.